Good morning, everyone. Stop being nice to each other now. We're going to move on in our service. <laughs> Wonderful to see you all. Great to hear you connecting with one another. My name is Dominic. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and excited to continue in our Blessed series this morning uh, to be together. If you normally see me, I normally have an instrument in my hand, so I was so thankful for Haley and the team. Could we just thank Haley Montgomery and the team this morning just for leading us in worship? <laughs> Haley and I met probably, oh gosh, I want to say it's like over 15 years ago, and when I was a worship leader back here back in 2008 and past that, she came and led, and she, we were both much younger at the time, but um, it's wonderful to hear her again, so we love having her. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open your app or your physical copy to the book of John. John 13 is where we'll be all morning today, and if you've been with us, we've been in a blessed series. It's an acrostic to say, a way to love like Jesus in the everyday parts of life, and the B was we began with prayer, and then we learned how to listen, and then last week we heard from Matt that we would start eating with people and that we were built to eat and that relationship around the table happens and that happened around the table with Jesus. And we're going to find ourselves today in the S and drum roll, please. S is for serving. All right. Anybody guess that? No. Okay. Y'all lose. Okay. Well, S is for serving this morning. And we're talking about how we can find ways to tangibly serve those that we encounter where we live, work, and play, to bless them in Jesus' name, to create loving and meaningful relationships with people. And we're going to look at John 13 this morning, and John 13 is one of the most challenging and humbling passages where we see Jesus serving his disciples in his last 24 hours before he is arrested, beaten, and murdered. We see Jesus, with so much stuff on his mind, choosing to serve his 12, and to love them. And so we're going to look at that text this morning as we do that. And just as the precursor to that, we see that Jesus in his whole teaching ministry for the last three years has been preaching an upside-down kingdom. He's been saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit because they'll inherit a kingdom, and, and the meek are the ones who inherit the earth, and it's the first who will be last and the last who will be first. And along the way, he also says, as his disciples are following him, he says that I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And he's been growing in popularity and stature, and he's also been growing in uh, creating a lot of division among the religious leaders, especially. And we find him in the week of Passover and he's had a very eventful week. He's flipped over tables where the money changers are doing that. And he's making people mad. And he's ridden on a donkey and they've laid palm leans and they're saying, Hosanna, you're the one we've been waiting for. You're the long-awaited Messiah who's going to rule and reign and be a governor. And you're going to kick Rome out and Israel's going to be established once again. And we don't really know what happens Wednesday, but we find ourselves in the passage of John 13. It's Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday. Maundy just comes from the Latin word that literally just means commandment. It's a new commandment that he's giving his disciples. And we find Jesus knowing that he's going to be betrayed and he knows what's coming that's awaiting him, a death. And he's, he has a ton of things on his mind. And I don't know what you would be thinking in your last 24 hours of life but I don't think I would be thinking in the way that Jesus is thinking. Jesus chooses to spend time with his disciples whom he loves, who we'll find out right here in a minute. When he could have just been thinking, oh my gosh, like, what are we doing? Lord, is there another way? Father, is there another way that I can do something? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through excruciating pain here in a bit. 
And I got these ragamuffin gospels, the island of misfit toys following me around. That's the last thing that I'd be thinking. But Jesus in love is spending time with them. And, and so let's just look at the text and see what he says. It says, it was the week before the Passover feast. And remember, Passover during, is a time commemorating when the Lord, the angel of death, literally passed over homes that they slayed the lamb and with the blood dipped in hyssop, they wiped it over the door. And in, in Egypt, they were passed over and their firstborns weren't killed as a result of that. And Egypt ultimately, or Israel ultimately set free from Egypt. And so they're commemorating that. It's the feast at this time. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. Verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil was already prompting Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Side note, it's the only time Judas' dad's name is mentioned. What a way to be remembered. The son of Simon. Just hanging your head. Oh, there's Simon, the one, the betrayer. Remember, he's hanging on a tree, and he threw 30 pieces of silver. Simon, the betrayer. That's your kid. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took out his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured the water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus could have been preoccupied, but he decides in the last 24 hours to have a meal to commemorate the Passover feast with his disciples. And I love that verse in verse 2. It says that he has, in verse 3, he knows the power and authority that is coming to him as he's going to return to the Father. And instead of usurping power the way that we would think in the upside-down kingdom that God, in the form of Jesus, fully God, fully man, preaches is the opposite of power and authority. Instead, he chooses to assume a position for the lowliest slave. It can't be stressed enough how much we can just read past Jesus' washing feet. But in that, he's fully confident in his authority and his identity. As one commentator said, that he has perfect self-esteem in this moment. And because Jesus, fully God, fully man, having perfect self-esteem, he can humble himself to resume the posture of the lowest-ranking slave. See, traditionally back there, when you would be invited into somebody's house, there would be water basins outside, and they'd be relegated to the lowest Gentile slave to come and wash the feet of the guest. People walking on Roman roads would be wearing sandals. They don't have the luxury of tennis shoes or boots or anything like that, so they're walking and they're getting dusty. It's an agrarian culture, so there's dung everywhere. There's every imaginable kind of thing on the ground that they're walking in on a day-to-day -day basis. And feet are funky. Can I get an amen? Feet are funky. Like, I don't know if you have the ability to uh, relate with this, but I have a teenage boy. He was playing football. And in the minivan, the football, sweatied, laced in dirt and funk, all pile back into the car and one by one start taking off their cleats. And the windows fog. <laughs> and there's an aroma of Christ in that car, and it's, it's funky. One time my son took him off, and within seconds we were like, oh my gosh, put him back on, new rule in the car, never take off your cleats. Just wear them. They're so uncomfortable. I don't care. It's way uncomfortable, and heads are out of the window, and we're just, feet are funky. 
So dirt and dung covered feet were to be washed by the slave, the lowest ranking slave. Even in the Jewish culture, a, a low ranking Jew in a, in a, a society that is very, um, the social credit score would be you want to keep climbing the ladder. So no Jew is ever going to wash the Jew of a higher, even a high ranking Jew was just unheard of. So the lowest ranking slave would be relegated to take out dirt and dung. You know, there's no pedicures back there, so I'm imagining some pretty funky nails. And there, they would recline at a table that was low. So they'd sit about this height, and they would lean to the left and pass food to the right. And so as you're leaning, Steve, if you were sitting with me and you had dirt and dung feet, I might smell your feet, and you might smell mine. Probably not pleasant, like pass the hummus, and could somebody give me, like, you know, cover my nose, please? You see, if Jesus was just a good teacher, if he was rabbi, you would never see, rabbis don't bow. Rabbis don't wash feet. So for Jesus to come in now at this meal where it's foot funky city to start washing and scrubbing feet would be unheard of. It would be so scandalous in the mind of any Jew at that point, especially these disciples who have been watching and following the rabbi, the one who's been healing the blind and calming the seas and walking on the water and rising the dead is now washing dirt and dung off their feet. But not only is he rabbi, but he's king. They've just said that he's the Messiah, the one that they're waiting for. He's the ruling, reigning one that's going to come and make things right. Kings don't bow to their subjects. Rabbis don't wash feet. But the son of man is also the son of God. And what God do you know that would bow to his creation? And in 24 hours, we'll see that he not only bows, but he dies for his creation. What God dies for his creation? None. So Jesus, in full self-esteem, full confidence in his authority and his identity in Christ, or identity in the Father, with the Father, he kneels and he relegates himself to the most menial task, to washing feet. The crazier thing still is that he washes the feet of the one who would betray him. Can you imagine the look of bewilderment and shame and disgust as he passes among the 12? As he scrubs Judas's feet in full love. I know what you're going to do in a minute. I'm going to get extra good in there for you. I know where these feet have gone and I know that where they will go. I'm going to scrub. And I'm going to scrub. He gets to Peter, and I love Peter. Peter's the ready, fire, aim guy. He's so impetuous. He just, yeah, he just says whatever. He's lobbing the ear off here in a minute. It's incredible. But he says this. He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? The language there is this. Lord is the word kiros, and it can be kind of interchanged with the, the word Yahweh, which is the most highly esteemed word in Hebrew word of God. They wouldn't even write the vowels in there, so Y-H-W-H. They would never even think to say it, let alone write it. Kiros, Lord, you, the one who created and sustained and made all things, you're going to wash my feet? Better translated is like, Lord, I know you're the master of all things, but you've lost your mind. You're going to wash my feet? No way. You're crazy. Let's just, let's forget this whole thing happened and moved on. And Jesus says this in verse 7, he says, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. 
And, Jesus, and Peter says emphatically, no, you will never wash my feet. Never, ever, 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 ever will you wash my feet. Never will the Lord and Master and Messiah that we've been waiting for touch these junky feet. No way. No how. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. You can't be about what I've just been showing you for the last three years. You're not following me if you're not letting me do this. I've been telling you the whole time I did not come to be served, but to serve. This is the precursor of what's going to happen tomorrow, Peter, when you'll deny me and you'll see me being hung and beaten and despised by my own creation. You don't know what you're saying, but it'll make sense. But if I can't do this, you have no part of me. So ready, fire, aim. Peter quickly pivots and says, Lord, the one who's in charge and the master and the, the controller and creator of all things, not just my feet then, but my hands and my head as well. Matt and I were joking about it this morning. It's almost like, you know, he just disrobes and goes, then wash all of me, Lord. I don't know, <laughs> like my feet, just everything. Just get me real clean. You know, and Peter and Jesus is like, uh, your feet are good brother. Like, <laughs> verse 10, he says, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone is clean. The beautiful part in verse 10 is this, is that the language that Jesus uses shifts. He moves from talking about a ceremonial cleansing, where we'd wash our body and our feet, and he moves to a theological, positional word to say, your feet are clean, buddy. And that will need to be ongoing. Can we get an amen that it's good to wash your feet ongoing? Yes, like, yes, we agree. But then he says, positionally, you are clean, Peter. Clean as in before with right standing with God. Clean. It's declarative identity for him. Buddy, you don't need a bath. You just need to wash this dirt and dung off your feet, and I'm going to do that. Oh, and by the way, you're clean because you're with me. You have a part of me. Cleansing comes from that. You're new. You're healed. You're clean. But not all of you are clean. Speaking of Judas Iscariot, though I'm washing his feet ceremonially, he's given up to Satan. He's decided what he's going to do. Not clean, standing. Make sense? A couple nods? Yeah, good. Verse 12. When he had finished washing his feet, he put on his clothes and returns to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Some think that's a play on a God statement. I am. He's, just, he's announcing his authority again. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Good news, we're not washing each other's feet today. Some of you got really excited, and some of you were ready to leave. The last time I preached this passage 20 years ago, the whole church ended up washing their feet that night. It was beautiful. We're not going to do that today. <laughs> it's less about the actual tangible thing of washing feet, although it's a beautiful thing to do. But he's talking about a practice to start implementing, the practice of serving each other. So if I, the Lord and teacher, if I, your rabbi who you've been following, and if I am Lord, the one who created all things, am doing this, 
this menial task and I've relegated myself to subject myself to love you well in this moment, you do likewise. He goes on to say, no servant is above their master. No one's above their teacher. So if I can do this as a good teacher or have some of you as my disciples have identified me, the long-awaited Messiah, if I'm doing this, so can you. It should be noted that in Luke's account of this meal, Luke makes mention that while they're having the meal, the disciples are talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom. I think it's going to be me. Peter's going, I walked on water. You guys were bums and stayed in the boat. Like, I know I'd sink, but at least I got out of the boat. Like, you guys suck. Well, I went with Jesus, and I gave more fish and loaves, and I came back with, you know. No, they're just talking, who gets to be the greatest? And the irony of the greatest in the room now is sitting there, disrobed, scraping out dirt and dung, sits back and says, I want you to do likewise. You want to know what greatness in the kingdom looks like? It looks like serving one another. You want to know what greatness and power and authority look like? It's thinking of others as better than yourselves, as Paul would say in Philippians 2. It's looking at Christ's example that I love the start of John. John 1 as we see this picture of Jesus being God in the beginning of all creation and yet taking on flesh. You talk about humbling yourselves. He leaves surrounded by praise to come and hang with his creation that despise and reject him ultimately now washing feet, and again, 24 hours later, hanging on a cross, being murdered unjustly. As I have done, you do. I tell you the truth, verse 16, no servant is greater than the master, nor messenger greater than the one I sent you. Now, if you do these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's a promise that comes, and what's the blessing? Is the blessing that you got some clean feet, and you can eat your meal now, and you don't have to smell the feet? Or is the blessing that this is the part of the upside-down kingdom? This is the part of the way it's intended that greatness looks like humbling themselves and bowing low, a rabbi bowing, a king kneeling, a God dying for his people that would be marked by such love and humility that you would know they're his. He actually says that a few verses later in verse 34. The new, again, the Maundy Thursday word that we get. A new commandment I give you, verse 34 of 13. Love one another. Everyone say, love one another. Yeah, good, you're with me. Love one another. How? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be gone, and I'm going to carry the mission and the movement forward of the church, the people of God, the kaleo, the called out ones, is going to be, they're defined by the markation of love for one another. That something supernatural is going to happen when I have love for you and you for me. That agape love, the one that is self-sacrificial, that lays down its life, that's willing to be humble and be okay to esteem others as better than themselves. That mark of love will be the mark of authentication, that you're to his disciples. You see, as we talk about serving and blessing and loving like Jesus did, the church isn't the only place that we see service happening in our community. Would you agree? In some ways, 
People give more money than we could ever give. They give more service hours than we could ever give. They do tangible things that look like service. Back in the day before there was Chip and Joanna, there was, uh, there was a, a, a home remodel thing that I would watch every Sunday. I'd go to my father-in-law's house after church on Sunday. And um, gosh, I'm thinking of the name. They'd say, move that bus. And his name was Ty. Anybody remember? Stream home makeover. Bless you. Kyle Loving right there. Look at that. Thank you. Stream homemaker, and I would cry every Sunday, like without fail, because I would just see, like, look at these people serving and loving and giving. So the church is not unique in that. So what's the unique part and contribution of the church to this world? It's that we have love for one another. It's in the way that we love each other. It's not the Instagram life that we're saying, look at me serving. It's not the serve day as beautiful as it was. It's saying serve day is every day. So what's the identification that we could serve and love our community? And how can we do that? Just four observations quickly. One is that the Bible says that before Christ, we were enemies of the cross. But because of Jesus and because of belief in Jesus, that we move from enemy to family. And in that family, we've become new. We get a newness, just like Peter is told that he's clean. We, because of Christ, are clean and new and have a new identity. And as the Father speaks identity to Christ, Christ becomes our identity, and we serve from that place. It's a beautiful piece not to miss. We don't serve because we're trying to gain favor with God. We don't serve because that's an obligatory thing that we do, and we, we give our time, talent, and treasure, and we know, and we heard that, and we kind of just check off the boxes. No, we serve from the new identity. And the new identity that we have through the Spirit that's deposit in each believer is expressed that the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's actually what your new nature wants and craves is to express love. And so from that new identity, move from enemy to family, we express that identity. That's a unique character about Christian service. Two is that it's a lifestyle for a lifetime. Paul talks about it in Romans 12.1. He says that in view of God's mercy, in view of everything else, 11 chapters, go read them. They're incredible. But they talk a lot about how much we were dead and we sucked and we needed rescue. And there was law that we couldn't fulfill on our own. So one who was better came, fulfilled that so that we could have life. And therefore, in view of that, we give of ourselves. It's our reasonable service or our spiritual act of worship. The word right there is latero, and it just means an act of service, a life of service. To drop down on that idea a little bit, a lifestyle for a lifetime, you and I don't age out of service as believers. Whether you're nine or whether you're 99, we don't age out of it. We don't graduate. We don't climb a rank of, I've loved Jesus for 20 years now, so I don't have to wash feet anymore. I don't have to do the menial task. I'll do maybe something that's above, that's below my pay grade. I need something a little bit bigger to do. No, in the kingdom, we see Jesus' example. It's a lifestyle for a lifetime, and service looks like whatever that could look like. Now, if you're 99, I'm not saying go and dig ditches and, and start building things, but you can start leveraging your time, talent, and treasure in other ways. And I want to just say, Seacoast, you're a beautiful church. You're a wonderful church. I look around this room and see all ages and stages of life serving as a lifestyle for a lifetime. 
I actually reached out to the staff and said, is there any fun stories that, or any people that come to mind when we think about the idea of service? And Dave Stapleton, I want to call out good that I see in you. The way you serve. For those that don't know Dave, and you're going to hate that we can talk about it afterwards in love, I just want to brag on you for a second. So he's here cooking meals on his own accord in the kitchen for the single moms that dispenses meals every week to them. And he's always got joy. He's got some music on. And you talk to him about what he's listening to and learning and how God's transforming his life. He lets you try a little of the chicken teriyaki, perhaps, a little meatball here and there. And he serves. And most of you probably wouldn't have known that until I said that. But the way you serve compels me to serve. So thank you. Salucci's. John Susan, your guys' name came up over and over again. The way you leverage counseling and care, so beautiful. You're literally part of healing part of our staff. So you loving out of wounds even to love our church, way to go. You're loving Jesus, you're washing feet, you're serving, way to go. Justin Haug back there. Justin Haug, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful announcements, by the way. Justin Haug is like the most excited leader, servant leader we have in our church. He's washing feet continually. He's here early in the mornings. He's here late at nights. Have you noticed how our lights have changed over time and sound has gotten better and live streams have gotten better? That's all him. It's not an exaggeration. He basically runs the church. Ryan reports to him. I report to him. <laughs> Matt has a one-on-one -on -one with him to just make sure everything's going good. So you can give me feedback afterwards. That'd be great. But Justin, the way you serve and love and give countlessly, I mean, you work a full-time job and then come here and work a full-time job. So way to go, serving in your 20s, loving Jesus, loving people, loving students. You also lead students and work with the core group with that. So just way to go. Who else? Kyle, you're, you lead our elders. You work a full-time job, you love your wife, but you serve by serving at the highest level of leadership here to think through all the things of the church. And that's messy, and that's dirty. You got dirt and dung under your nails for sure. And we thank you. It's been a hard two years, especially in your seat of leading. During a pandemic, during a time of unrest, way to go loving this church and loving Jesus so we know how to love and lead. And we could do this all day. That's what the body of Christ, that's the unique markation of the body of Christ. Lifestyle for a lifetime. Quickly, three, love on display. We see that. Something unique about the way we love and lead is the biggest witness we could ever have to our community. At a time that's so polarizing, something that has become a critical need for me, a must-have, a I will take a bullet for, theologically, is this preserving unity of the church. There's been new categories created that we could divide over beyond the ones that we already had theologically and some things that have moved from societal to theological categories for some of us. And I'm just asking church, can we move back to love? Can we move away from being pitted against each other to being for each other? As a family, I would just say, we look really silly when we're fighting outdoor on the streets when it's meant to be an indoor fight with each other or an indoor disagreement. How will the world ever know that we're his if we can't love each other? Make sense? The last one is this. 
you're blessed to be a blessing. As you're serving, as you're going, as you're in your new identity, as you're expressing that new identity where you live, work, and play, you're blessed. That's Jesus' words, not mine. And you're blessed to then pivot to be a blessing. As Jesus took notice of you, as Jesus did the most menial thing, that we would take notice of those around us and subject ourselves to anything. A funny story is that I don't know if you've been doing the things that we've been challenged with each week, but as I've been praying, I've found this. My calendar gets a lot full with neighbors. I try and get out of my car, and I'm in the driveway for a half an hour, hour every day now. That's weird. I prayed, and it worked. As I've listened and had the posture of listening, they start sharing really hard things with me that they shouldn't be sharing. My barista at Starbucks is sharing things now because I took notice of their name and as they remembered my order when I walked in. And I listened. As we're booking our calendar as a family, we're saying, who can we invite over to eat in the coming weeks? And that's really exciting. As I was praying about serving this week, the day I started studying, an email popped up on my phone. I was just like, Lord, what do you want to say to the church and how do you want me to serve? And an email came up. And it's for a guy that I don't know who's a believer, connected in this network I'm a part of, and he needed help moving. And I said, delete. <laughs> Lord, show me how you want me to serve. <laughs> I just wish you would give me a sign. That was my first response. I was like, that's not for me. I'm too busy. I got to write a sermon. I'm not going to have time. Ryan's going to be so mad. Justin's going to give me a 360 review, and I'm in trouble. And... <sighs> so I replied. Hey, man, we've never met. I heard you need help moving. What can I do? And from there, I let it happen, however it happened. And I got to serve him yesterday in a way that I uniquely could serve him. He actually tended, turned out to be a worship leader at a church in town. And he said, it'd actually be great if you could lead worship for me at my church on Saturday so I don't have to leave my family and move. And I was like, ah, delete Got to write my message, still finishing that up. So I got to lead at his church, sweet little church, 40, 50 people, to bless him in the name of Jesus to a guy I never met, because that's what we do. We love each other the way that we've been loved. Make sense? Three practical implications. I'm going to invite the team back up, and we're going to spawn through worship is that we're invited in to be a part of the kingdom work. We get to be as family, compelled by the spirit, by the love that we've received, to love those around us. It starts in the family. I'll just say that. The family, that language that we use, in a family, it's the safest place in the, the most functional family to try things, to explore boundaries, to see what you're good at, to have honest feedback and review. So it starts at home. It starts in the family. The family could mean it starts with your marriage, serving each other as Christ has loved you and served you, as parents, as kids to your parents, grandparents, relationships, important relationships. You start loving each other. You start serving each other. It also means in the family. Like, is passing out Easter eggs at the extravaganza above you in your pay grade? No. So as it makes sense, as compelled by the Spirit, not out of duty, come and serve. Can you pull out weeds for the glory of God to serve your neighbor? Yeah. In the family, you can do that. So I challenge you to start with the family. Second is this. Start praying for eyes to see and ears to hear. Again, like I said, it's incredible. As I start praying for God to reveal people to me, the list gets longer and longer and bigger and bigger. He actually wants that for us. So seek it and ask, and he'll show you. 
Third, identify what needs to be laid down. When I got that email and I wanted to press delete about helping a guy move, what I was really struggling with was, one author says this, is that Jesus puts down his crown to pick up an apron. And I recognized that I had many crowns on at that moment. It was above me, I was busy, I was entitled to have my Saturday to myself. I was selfish because I'd rather stay at the pool and tan than to like go and do something. That's just honest, that's how I was. So I had to lay down the crown to pick up the apron to serve. What's it for you today? What's preventing you from taking the next step to go and serve and love like Jesus has loved you to go and serve your community, to go and serve your brother across the aisle here? Would you pray about that? And would you confess that? And as you're asking for it, as you're identifying it, in your newness, my encouragement is this. Church, can we adopt the posture of the master this morning to say anything? A lifestyle for a lifetime. A new identity, not because we have to do, but because it's been done, and so our natural heart disposition is for people. Can we adopt that posture this week? And can we see what happens in our community? How marriages are transformed, how city blocks and office buildings are changed for the love of God and the glory of God. That as Peter says in 1 Peter 4.15, he says, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have when asked. When asked assumes and presumes there's a relationship. And if they don't love what you're putting down, they don't want any of it. But the world is craving love this morning. And love by biblical definition is what we see Jesus do. Gods don't die for their people, and yet we have a Savior that laid out his life willingly, suffered a death that was intended for me and you, so that we could have life and freedom, and to be the carriers and dispensers of his love and grace through our service. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for that challenging example. I know I've struggled with it the last couple of days and just over the years of loving and following you. It doesn't make sense that you would come and wash feet, but you did. It doesn't make sense that you would willingly endure a cross so that we could have a relationship and right relationship with you, but you did. And you've tasked us and given us the beautiful opportunity to partner with you, to be your hands and feet to the world around us that's longing and craving for hope and love. And so I pray by your spirit that you would change us. The repentance, the mind change to say, God, we'll be about what you're about, what happened this morning. That the pursuit of unity together in this room for you and for the things of your kingdom would unify us even greater this morning. And for the relationships and the people that we think of that are in our minds and hearts now, God, that they would know you. I want life for all of those neighbors of mine. I want healing for all of them. I want those marriages that are struggling in this time to be restored and have eyes for each other, a new and a fresh. I want kids that are lost and wandering to come and find home in you. And I pray the same thing for all those that we touch and encounter. Thanks for the privilege of studying your word and allow it to study us this morning. Help us to respond as those loved first by loving you in reply now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand and hail